Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And today's episode is going to be a little different from our other episodes. Today, I am sharing with you a recorded conversation with a girl named Abby Redman. I met Abby through TikTok when I came across a video of her sharing her story about the murder of her little sister, Addison. When I saw the video, I knew I wanted to help get their story out. Abby is the middle child of three kids. She had a little sister, Addison, and has an older brother, Corbin. Addison was only 11 years old when she was brutally murdered in their family home on the morning of August 20th, 2019, after everyone had left for work and school. Her 15-year-old brother, Corbin, was the one who found her, and he was also the only one police ever looked into during their investigation. Being in a very small town in central Michigan, the police seemed ill-equipped to handle this homicide investigation, and the Redmond family was forced to make an impossible decision, allow their son to go to trial and be charged as an adult for a crime he did not commit with the possibility of life in prison, or take a plea deal for only two years of probation. This story, like many here on Mama Mystery, points out some very serious flaws in not only the the justice system, but the media as well. The local media never interviewed the Redmond family, so they never had a real opportunity to share their side of the story. So they didn't get to have a voice in this story until now. This is the story of Addison Redmond as told by her sister, Abby. go ahead and start with telling me your name and your about your family and just like some background about you guys. Yeah, so my name is Abigail Redman. My family is from almost the dead center of Michigan. We're in Gresh County, which if you know anything about Gresh County, St. Louis is the middle point and we are not too far from that. And um, we grew up, um, I was raised on a farm. We grew up on an 1800 cow dairy. Most of our life was spent there. And the first two years of my life was ish was spent there. And then we decided to move up a little further north so that way we can be there with the rest of our family. And um, we actually, I grew up on, I can't even tell you how many acres, but it's quite a bit of acres of land. I want to say somewhere around a hundred. And my family does kind of like hobby farms. We show cattle, we show sheep, we showed hogs at one point in time. We hunt, we fish, just about anything you can think of. We probably do it. Mm-hmm. So you guys are very outdoorsy, active. Yeah. And how close are you to your extended family up there in, in regards to like distance? Yeah. So um, my, the way that it actually works is kitty corner to our property. We have my great aunt's property um, and we kind of are really close with that side of the family. They've actually helped us redo a couple of our own vehicles, like project cars type thing. And then my grandpa lives not even five minutes away. My grandma lives maybe 10 minutes away. My aunt and uncle, same distance. So we're all like pretty close to each other. Yeah. Um, Do you have any other neighbors that like aren't family or are you guys just kind of like one big unit? Um, We've got a, so there's a neighbor to the east of me that we actually grew up kind of knowing her. And then we've got a neighbor down the road that my brother and I and my sister, I guess, used to kind of help out with because he had a big garden. So They're all kind of like family, but they're not entirely family. Yeah. Chosen family. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. And then what do you do, Abigail? I I see on your page, are you like a diesel mechanic? Yeah. So I am currently an aspiring diesel mechanic. Um, My family has an automotive business and then we have a trucking business. So I kind of grew up with the both of them and I kind of decided that like agriculture, I loved it so much, but it wasn't where I wanted to focus my career, like what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And um, right after my sister passed away, I started making those like career decisions. And I was like, well, wrenching more is for me. So I kind of got into automotive, figured out that wasn't for me. And now I'm working on agricultural equipment and doing diesel side of things. So it's, it's nice. I get to combine two loves. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And that's so cool. I've never actually met anyone male or female that's been in that field, but it's even cooler to see a girl doing it. Cause it's just kind of goes against, you know, the societal norm, I guess, whatever that is, whatever that is anymore. But, <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So what was it that like piqued your interest in that? How did you realize that that was what you wanted to do? So I started to hang out more with the family business of 
both trucking and the automotive shop at the same time. And I kind of realized that while I do love semis and I love diesel, I wanted to wrench on them and not necessarily drive truck like the rest of the family. And I basically just spent a lot more of my time at the shop, just hanging out, even if it was just sitting there watching the guys work. Yeah. And that's so cool. I, yeah, I kind of seen like a, not necessarily like a switch in my brain, but like one of those, ah, maybe this is for me type moments. Yeah. Like an aha moment. I yeah. Love this. That's awesome. Okay. Now you have, is it just two siblings that your sister and your brother? Yep. So my, I've got an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. And so tell me about them. So my, I guess I'll start with my older brother. He is one of the most hardworking, kindest people that you will ever meet in your life. But he's also been one of those kids that kind of sticks out through his whole life because he's like a six foot something big ginger looking dude. And you would never expect him to be super sweet, but he's honestly a gentle giant. Mm -hmm. And he, most of my life, he's always been like, not necessarily wanting to go out and have fun, but more wanting to go out and work, which shows a lot about a person. Yeah, absolutely. And he has definitely been one of the bigger inspirations of my life just because he has always had such a strong work ethic, no mm -hmm. matter what he was faced with. And then so on the other, uh, other side of my spectrum, we have my little sister, who is the complete opposite of my brother. She's this little like five foot nothing <laughs> tiny little girl like maybe 100 pounds soaking wet like she was tiny and she loves sports and she played soccer she was actually the only girl on her soccer team for the, a good portion of her life but her and I kind of shared that same love for showing cattle and we kind of became like I don't want to say like an iconic duo but that's basically what we were we both were in different age divisions with showing cows for our whole life so we were kind of like not necessarily the ones to look out for the, but the ones that were known yeah. And she definitely was, again, one of the kindest people you will ever meet. And she took every, like, anything that came up that was a barrier to her, she just smiled and laughed it off. That's awesome. And um, what are your siblings' names? Um, So the youngest sister is Addison, and the oldest brother is Corbin. Corbin and Addison. Yep. And then we've got Abigail in the middle. So it was just yep. you three. <laughs> yeah. A lot of our childhood, we were just like a tight-knit group. Yeah. So what is the age gap between you all? We are all two years apart. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good gap. <laughs> yeah. And um, so when I was growing up, my, the way that our house is set up is my brother's room is right across from mine. And then my sister and I shared a room. And like, if there was a thunderstorm or anything like that, we just instantly went to my brother's room. And he, Aww. like, you could tell he didn't necessarily want us in his room, but he just like let us sleep on the floor all night and just that sense of safety. Yeah, so he was in a sense kind of a protector for you guys. Yeah, he definitely yeah, has been. Sisters. And um, how old is Corbin now? Um, he just turned nineteen in November. So then that would make you seventeen. Yep. And then Addison would have been fifteen. Yep. Yeah. So um, I guess we can start with just the day that everything kind of happened. Um, can you tell me the date of it again? August 20th, 2019. Okay. So that was about what, three years, four years ago almost? Yep. Almost yeah. Three and a half. Years. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me about that day. How did it start? Um, yeah. Just tell me your, tell me your version of it. Yeah. So at the time, my dad was managing a dairy farm down in St. John's, which is about 45 minutes away from where we live currently. Mm -hmm. And he normally starts his day right off the crack of dawn at 4.30. He's gone and oh, doing wow. his thing. Yeah. And then so um, my brother ended up staying home for the good portion of the day. Like when I had left for the day, he had not left yet. And my sister was home too because um, just as the baby, she just kind of floated around and did her own kind of thing. But she was old enough that we, we all kind of stayed home. And so that day, my mom the time was the like office bookkeeper thing for our automotive shop mm -hmm. so she was right in town so she ended up going to work that day and I went with her because I had freshman orientation for high school gotcha. so it was just easiest if I went with her and then I could just walk to the school when it was time for that to happen because it was only like a 20 minute walk yeah and so then how far away is the the automotive shop from your house 
it is about 10, 15 minute drive, depending on how fast you want to go. Yeah. So, but you, it's definitely a drive. Yeah. It's, it's not, not like on your property or anything like that. No. Um, so that day, my brother was working for the neighbor down the road with his gardening stuff. And he ended up leaving at some point in time that day for work. I'm not really sure like what time or anything like that. So Corbin was working for the neighbor down the road. So he ended up riding his bike down to there because it's only like really a 10 minute bike ride. Like it's not even a mile. So Mm -hmm. he ended up going to work and then Addison was solely left home alone, which again, wasn't really a big deal. Like we live in the country. We've got neighbors close by. We had a phone for the house. Like it wasn't anything abnormal for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people um, maybe are hypersensitive to that now, but like, I remember being left at home with my older sibling sometimes, sometimes I was by myself, but as young as like seven. So, yeah. I mean, you know, our parents worked and I feel like it was way more normal growing up to be left at home if my parents were working or even just running an errand. But yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that that's unusual at all that she would right. be left at home. And how old was she at the time? Right. I, I want to say it was 11. So at that day I ended up, everything was normal in the morning and I ended up having to be to school by like 10, 30, 11 ish. So mm-hmm. I started walking to the school and I was two blocks from the school and a police officer had stopped me and it was actually the way that it worked out is my siblings and I had all gone through what my county calls police and fire academy and it's basically like like a day camp but it's throughout the week and we're taking through the steps of like how to become a police officer and or a firefighter and what they do within their jobs so it's kind of like a job shadow type thing but there was kids of all ages So this had ended up being one of the police officers that I had gotten to know throughout this whole process of police and fire academy. So I didn't really think anything of it. And she actually, Mm -hmm. I want to say she was our school like police officer. Mm -hmm. So it just like, it wasn't abnormal for her to stop and be like, hey, are you so-and-so type thing? Yeah. And um, she ended up asking me like who my sister was, how old she was. And I just, at that moment I didn't think anything abnormal of it just because Mm -hmm. I was figured she was trying to connect the dots of who I was Mm -hmm. and um so I ended up being I ended up getting to school like she let me keep on walking everything was good and I was there for about 20 minutes and I remember getting released and we were all going in our separate ways of like where we were going to tour the school and I heard someone yelling my name down the hallway and I was like, you know, you're a freshman. You don't really know what's going on. And I was like, oh, like, hey, that's me. And the teacher aide, I guess is what I would call her, was like, you're getting pulled out early. And I was like, oh, okay." Like my mind went to I have older great grandparents who are about the age that you would typically see them pass away. So Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything really abnormal of it. And then I seen that my grandma had picked me up from like school and she had never picked me up before. So that was when I was kind of like, okay, something might be wrong. And then from there, we, she was like, there's like, she wasn't really talking to me directly about anything happening. I would ask a question and she would kind of try to avoid it because you could tell she didn't want to be the person to have to break the news. Mm -hmm. And she was just more or less asking me like, how was your walk? Like, how was the school? How do you like it so far? Just trying to like, I think she was trying to ease herself mm-hmm. as well as ease me. And Did she um, seem nervous or like anxious at all? Not terribly, but I just kind of like my mind went to like, oh, maybe like a great grandparent passed away. Like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like the, how you would probably feel in a situation like that mm-hmm. is how I would imagine her. So I just really didn't think too terribly of it until I seen that we were going out of town towards more or less like the route that you would take to my house Mm -hmm. instead of the route to one of my grandparents house and that was when I was kind of like okay like maybe something is wrong but I never really thought like anything more than that I was just like well this is really strange like I don't know what's going on here Mm -hmm. and um we ended up getting about to pull into my driveway and she tells me that she loves me and I was like "Mm, something is seriously wrong and so we have a long like really long driveway and 
field right out in front of our house. So you, you can kind of see the house from the road. Mm-hmm. And I, we were at the end of the driveway. And my first glance was there was my grandpa's truck, my mom's car, my dad's truck, and a bunch of cops. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I'm a kid. I don't really know how to react to any of this. And at that mm-hmm. point, I started to go into shock. Like, I didn't really know what was happening. And I kind of, like, throughout that day, I really blacked out. And there's little bits and pieces missing of it, like what you mm-hmm. would expect when you're going yeah. through trauma. And one of the major things that I remember is I got out of her car. And my dad just instantly, like, hugged like put me in a deep hug and he's like there's been an accident and I was kind of trying to like fight the hug and try and put eyes on every single like every single person and try and figure out who wasn't there Mm -hmm. and I looked around and I seen everyone but my sister and that's kind of when I was like something's really messed up no one had really broken the news to me yet like everyone just kind of referred to it as an accident Mm mm-hmm because at that point in time, we really, truly, not everyone knew what was going on. Everyone was just kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. And so if we go back in time a little bit, I talked to my brother to try and get bits and pieces of what he wanted to share from this day, just because obviously he's not here talking with us. Mm-hmm. And I just I just wanted to get the viewpoint of everyone that I possibly could from my yeah. family. And um, so he said that... He called my dad, and he was obviously down at the farm in St. John's. So my dad called my grandpa, who actually was the lieutenant on our local fire department and was also on the rescue team. So he is trained in situations that involve things like this. Mm-hmm. Emergencies. Yeah. And so my, if I remember right, my grandpa told my dad to call dispatch. Dispatch routed my dad to the county that my dad was in and not our county so it was a like huge thing but my dad knew that my grandpa was going to be the best person to call because of his training and because he's going to get there a lot quicker mm-hmm. than my dad possibly could like my dad was 45 minutes away it's kind of hard to just be like snap I'm going to be there as soon as mm-hmm. I can type thing and um so my brother said that he my grandpa got there and he just instantly wrapped my brother in a big hug and was just like, I love you. Like, it, everything's going to be okay. Like, trying to ease his mind. But my grandpa also had his responder gear, his big medical first aid kit in his hand. Because no one really truly knew the extent of anything at this point in time. And So was it Corbin that found her? Yes. So he ended up coming home from work early at some point in time. I, like, I think he might have forgot something or something like that. Like, you know, like maybe the workday was over, you know, you just never really know. Like he's working for a family friend. Everything's a lot more laid back. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so he ended up coming home and walked into our house and seen that the whole downstairs of our house. So when you walk in, you're meted in a doorway right next to it is kind of like our catch all table for mm-hmm. like keys and coins and papers and just anything that you can really think of. And there was a lot of stuff from right there that was just the floor and my brother's thought was why is the house a mess type mm-hmm. thing and so from there if you walk out of the doorway you go to the kitchen then the dining room then it kind of makes like a 90 degree angle and there's our living room and my brother said that as he was just walking through the house everything was a mess like there was things scattered everywhere which is not how he left the house mm-hmm. and then my sister was laying on the couch and that's the way that he found her and she had been shot in the head with a 20 gauge shotgun oh my god yeah wow (laughs) which is not something that you would typically even expect really in anything like this no and i mean that you know you don't just accidentally shoot yourself with a 20 gauge shotgun so right all the pieces of the puzzle initially just scream like somebody did this exactly like it is pretty uncommon for someone to shoot themselves themselves with a shotgun just because Mm -hmm. of how difficult it is to do Mm -hmm. and so just there was just the whole house was really just 
not how we leave our house. We're not like, obviously we were a family of five. Our house is not going to be pristine, proper, look like nobody lived in it type thing. But we also were not messy people. We pick up after ourselves. So yeah. it's very strange to see just like the medicine cabinet all piled uh, basically on the floor. There's papers all over the floor, like just mm-hmm. little things like that. My parents' bedroom actually looked like it had been ransacked. Oh my gosh. Things dismayed. It sounds like my initial assumption is that this was like a robbery gone wrong. You know, somebody entered the home, didn't expect to see your sister there, and then just didn't want to leave a witness. Oh, exactly. And it had also been pretty common in our county at this point in time that there was break-ins happening. And there was people that were like trying to sell things, Mm -hmm. but then they would just break into your house. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, that's so scary. It was just one of those things where nobody really connected the dots between the two things and just instantly, I don't want to say like pick a point, pick a finger to blame type mm-hmm. thing, but that's really what the police did in this situation. Yeah. So your brother found her, um, immediately yep. called for help. Um, yep. And then once police arrived, I mean, did they talk about what the initial assumption was? Or, I mean, did it seem like it was pretty instant that they were pointing the finger at your brother? So it was pretty instant that the police were blaming my brother. It was, oh, we know he did it. It's just a matter of time that we can prove it from the first step. And why did they assume it was him just because he was the one that found her? I mean, what was it that they were, I mean, as far as you know, like, what was it that they were so convinced on? I think at this point in time, it had been a small community and it was police that were not properly trained in a Mm -hmm. situation like this. And they were just trying to close the case and make it seem like there's not a threat. So that way they don't upset other people within the community. Mm hmm. Which, unfortunately, we've seen that happen. Uh, We've covered these types of stories before um, where the police are just ill-equipped or poorly trained, and they point the finger without really doing more investigating, and then, you know, somebody's life is ruined. Um, Exactly. And it seems like they're just – they don't want to admit that failure, and they don't want to seem incompetent. And like you said, too, they don't want, like, mass hysteria in the community, and they want their people to feel safe. So they just, oh, that's that's really so unfair and heartbreaking. It definitely is. And coming from a family that we grew up understanding, like, firefighters and police are the people that are there to help you. We were trained very at a very young age because of my grandpa being in the fire department. This is the route to get out of the house. This is the phone number you call. This is what you do. And I think that moment my brother like we were trained on how to do it for so long but in the moment like when you're a kid you don't understand what to do and I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people fail to understand that because you can tell yourself you're going to do something no matter what but until you're put into a traumatic experience you don't really know what you're going to do yeah you can you can imagine how you might react to something like that but then when it actually happens your adrenaline and fight or flight takes over and I mean it is an like a uncontrollable response Um, exactly and yeah I I mean a lot of people forget that we were a family that grew up knowing that like the police and fire department were good people Mm -hmm. until we went through all of this and we still have so much love for our fire department and there we we know that there are good police out there there's also police who are equipped and they're not properly trained in situations Mm -hmm. like this happen and like I don't know we we stand behind our police but when it happens when we go through a situation like this it takes away a lot of our trust and faith throughout oh, them yeah absolutely and i mean i don't blame you for that at all i feel like that's <laughs> totally valid you know everyone yeah. has a blind trust for people who are supposed to protect them doctors okay. police officers fire to firefighters everybody you know you have this blind trust that they would never hurt you they're supposed to help you but then exactly. when they completely stab you in the back like that, it's kind of like, holy cow, I never would have expected that. I mean, it's such a betrayal from somebody you don't even know, but exactly. Yeah. I can see how that would like kind of fester and spread into a distrust for the whole (laughs) academy. Exactly. It's, it's a really sad situation and it makes it really hard when we, like, we still live in the community. We still live in our home because like, this is our childhood home. We're not a super rich family where we can just uproot and go wherever. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just really hard to live in the same community and know that these people are still out there and they're doing their jobs, mm-hmm. but they're not doing their jobs to the fullest that they possibly can. Yeah. So how, how big is your community? Uh, what is like the population of your town? Um, I can't, I can't tell you the town itself, but I want to say our county as a whole is like 46,000. Okay. So it's, it's like a good mid-sized type of county or city or whatever, you know, population. Um, we're we're definitely like a rural community. Most of the people around here are farmers and like we have a a private college. It's a pretty small one within our county too. So that kind of helps out with the population, but we're Mm -hmm. mostly a tight knit group of people. Yeah. And everyone kind of knows, I'm sure by now, especially everyone knows (laughs) who you guys are. Oh, yeah. um, but even before this, I'm sure everyone kind of had a, a good understanding of most of the people in your town. Yeah, they definitely did. And um, a lot of people like with us growing up with an agriculture we showed at the county fair, a lot of people knew us from that. And then from hearing our last name within the family businesses, it kind of helped with people knowing who we are and people being able to put a name to the face type thing. Yeah. And it's sad that this didn't work better in your favor because, you know, sometimes when you're a little more well-known, you know, that can kind of help you, but it it seems like it didn't have any effect whatsoever. It actually kind of hurt us more than it helped us throughout this whole situation because people just kind of took those things and used it, used it kind of, no, you're good. They kind of used it against us and they were like, well, you have a business and you have X, Y, and Z, so you can pay X amount of people off and make it seem like it was an accident. Type oh thing. my gosh. It, yeah, it was, it, it was a terrible like situation, especially with me still going to school and the family business and everything like that. Like people were spreading rumors and it was getting to me and it was getting within the family business and kind of harming it and. I think that what people failed to realize is we are still the same people that we were before this happened. We just have a little piece of our heart missing. Oh, yeah. So um, after everything happened, how soon did they kind of like swarm in on your brother? Was um, it like the same day? I mean. Yeah, it was the same day. So I remember when at the time that I had gotten there, the police were making my brother strip in our driveway. They oh took his gosh. clothes. And I remember seeing them put them in a plastic, or not a plastic, but like a paper brown bag. And I watched the bag go from where they were on one side of the driveway. And then they sat on the hood of a car for a while before somebody finally put them in the back of a police car. And um, there, we were, there was like, my brother got asked to go into questioning. And at this point in time, we still had the mindset that the police were going to help us in this mm-hmm. situation. So not realizing that it was going to, not not necessarily harm us, but not help us. My dad took my brother to the police station the same day to go get questioned. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of instantly started looking for ways to pin this all against my brother and not for ways on how to find who did this as a whole. And um, I remember, so we live on a dirt dirt road, and I don't know how many people understand things about dirt roads, but in the summer, you have the crown of the road is going to be hard because the road commission will go through and put brine down so it doesn't kick up dust. Mm. And then on the edges of the road, you have that loose gravel dirt. And if you ride a bike down any sort of road, you know that like riding on a smooth surface is a lot easier than riding through rocks and soft soft ground. Mm-hmm. And the same way it was with our driveway. Our driveway is a dirt driveway. And the police failed to shut down our driveway to ensure that no cars could get through. And they failed to shut down our road to ensure that no cars could get through. And then they basically used it against my brother that, hey, we didn't find any bike tracks. Which (laughs) you're not going to once 16 people drive down my driveway. Right. I mean, you said yourself there was like tons of cops in your driveway. I mean. Yeah. It seems like for every like time and turned my back another cop car had shown up of mm-hmm. some other kind yeah and so it, of course if they ran over it i mean i wouldn't expect a bike to make deep tracks anyway but especially exactly. if they're getting driven over by multiple cars and it, with our road especially there was you know people have scanners on their phone people like to be nosy 
people would tune into the scanner as soon as I hear something. And then somebody posted on Facebook and it's like, hey, this is going down. So more people tune in. And at one point in time, we just had people going up and down our road and up and down the road. And there was more tracks. Mm-hmm. And at this yeah, point in time, so people were just nosy and trying to see what was going on. Yeah. And um, it just makes it really hard. And then we also had the point in time where there's two points of entry into our house. But one is like an enclosed front porch that we don't use. And the other is the back door that we always use. And there's a screen door. And then there's, like, the actual door itself. Yeah. And the police failed to wear gloves. The first two cops that even arrived on scene failed to wear gloves into the house. So there was no fingerprints. basic 101 (laughs) of how to preserve a crime scene. I, I mean, even me, like, my family grew up watching things like NCAS. So even me knowing this, I'm like, hey wear the gloves and they even went as far as they put booties on like plastic booties but they would step outside the house step back inside the house without changing the booties oh my gosh and um we had carpet flooring so obviously carpet seems to want everything to stick to it so everything Mm -hmm. just kind of gathered to it oh my gosh so yeah they're just tracking stuff in and yeah oh my gosh Wow, and then so mishandled. It it is terrible. And then so, like I mentioned before, the house was in like basically ruckus. It looked horrendous. And on our dishwasher, it was kind of like a movable dishwasher, and it was another one of those kind of catch-all things. We had a basket that kind of like collected important papers and bills and things like that. Well, the basket ended up on the floor. The police didn't think to fingerprint the basket, but were they? To fingerprint was on my parents' dresser. There was a can of men's deodorant and a can of aloe. And my brother's fingerprint showed up on them. Of course. Which this is our family home. And then the aloe is the one that always gets me, is because my brother's a ginger. It is August. Obviously, he's gonna need aloe like every single day. Yeah, he's working out in a garden. He's working outside. Exactly. And they just kind of didn't necessarily care. That like, hey, this is our home. There's gonna be fingerprints everywhere of his. There's gonna yeah. be my fingerprints and my grandpa's and everyone's. But they just seen it as, hey, that was on the floor. His fingerprints are on it. We're gonna go with this. Oh my gosh. You know, I've served on a jury before and I always reference back to that experience because I just try to think about how I would react if I was a juror on any kind of case that I cover. And I'm thinking to myself, as you're telling me these things, not enough to convict, not enough to convict. This is like so, so beyond circumstantial. It's not even circumstantial. It's just that he lives there. Of course, the fingerprints would be on those things. And then so where it gets really crazy is there was a fingerprint and a fiber that was found on my sister and the police never could identify whose they were, but they weren't my brothers because they had already taken his fingerprints and DNA and everything. And they they weren't his. An unidentified fingerprint on your sister and disregarded it because they thought the fingerprint on the aloe was sufficient. That's crazy. That's like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm still a child. I'm like, what the heck is this? But at least I know that, hey, maybe we should try and figure out what these are and not the things that like are common use items in a household. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, gosh, that is so disappointing. Um, so, so tell me more. Keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, that day, the Michigan state police ended up showing up pretty late in the day. I can't really think of the time off my head, Mm -hmm. but it was in my opinion, too late for anything. And it had actually started raining that day, which I don't know if you are like religious or anything like that, but the way that I was always raised is if it rains and someone dies, like the day that someone dies, it means they're going to heaven. So for my family, that was like a huge like hurrah moment just to figure out that like, Hey, this is going to be a not so genius thing because it's going to get rid of any evidence that's really outside. Mm-hmm. And um, so to where I kind of live, there's a river that runs right down the road and kind of snakes around and splits our property in half. And then we also have a pretty deep ditch that also splits our property in half. And you would, in my mind, when I think about things, I'm like, okay, if anything like this were to happen and I would need to get rid of something, 
I'm running for the river and I'm dropping it in the river. Well, because it rained that day, the current is going to drag anything downstream. And the police only checked a small portion of the river and didn't think to go downstream. They checked it right by our house, which in my mind doesn't make any sense. But I'm like, hey, I'm not trained in this, whatever. And then so we are also surrounded by a good, decent amount of woods. And like we've got hunting blinds kind of set up so that way we can sit in them when we go hunting. And they didn't bring a dog out to check any of the woods. They didn't bring a dog out to check the deer blinds. Nothing like that. So it's just like dropped ball after dropped ball, missed yeah. opportunity after missed opportunity. Within the first week, we kind of realized, hey, the police aren't handling like they should. Mm-hmm. And um, my grandpa put a editor article into the newspaper, and he even said that he wishes the Michigan State Police would have handled this instead of our small town good old boys mm-hmm. police. Yeah, because I, I mean, I guess another question I have for you is like, had there, I mean, had there been any other murders throughout the year? I mean, is this so, sort of an unprecedented event for you, your community? Things like this don't usually happen there. Um, there was one recent within like two, three years. Um, the next kind of like small town over, there was a man who was shot in his trailer home, and the police kind of like brushed it under the rug type thing. Again, they're I don't want to say negligence, but the fact that they're not trained in these sort of things showed before this even happened. Yeah, they're kind of ill-equipped. And I mean, yeah. if, if this isn't something that's commonly happening, they probably just really, truly don't know how to handle it. Oh, exactly. Which but is in that why, case, like, that's when you bring other people in. You bring in the state police or you bring in the yeah. FBI. You ask for help. You like I, I think they got it in their head that they wanted to prove to the community so much that they could handle this mm-hmm. that they didn't want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. So um, what other evidence or quote unquote evidence did they try to use against your brother? So there was shotgun that was found in our house. So I just want to back up a little bit. So my family is a hunting family, obviously. And we were trained from a very young age that a gun, whether it's loaded, unloaded, if it's just a fake gun, anything like that, it is to be handled like it is loaded. It is to not be handled unless our parents are around. Like we had all... My sister hadn't gone through hunter safety at the time, but my brother and I both went through hunter safety. We are both hunters. My whole family is hunters. So we know how to handle a firearm. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where a lot of people failed to realize that because a lot of people do not grow up in families like mine, where like we go out and we harvest our own animals and these things. And we also grew up in a family that we all, all of our guns were kept in a gun safe except for one. And it was a wall gun. And it was kind of like one of those like family heirlooms that were passed down but it was one of those ones that were never shot. Mm -hmm. And my parents were very strict on our gun safe always being locked. And my dad was the only one that ever had the combination to it. And so we have this family heirloom that just so happened to be the same gauge of a shotgun that my sister was shot with. My brother had moved the gun to rearrange things with my dad in the basement. And he had a partial thumbprint on the gun up on the stock which is kind of like the upper top middle part there mm-hmm. and they it wasn't even a full p- thumbprint it was a partial and it wasn't on the trigger it wasn't on the stock or it wasn't on the butt of the gun nothing it was on the stock and they seen that as okay this is this is the murder weapon but they failed to test any sort of ballistics on the gun i was just that was going to be my next question so did, did they test the gun they never tested any ballistics with it, and they actually ended up taking all of our shotguns and tested ballistics on all of those ones, and none of those ones, like, they were like, oh, this is not the gun, but this wall gun that's been sitting here for X amount of years with all this dust on it is the murder weapon. So were they ever able to, I mean, I guess if they just assumed that that was the gun without even testing it, they probably didn't even make any effort to find the actual murder weapon they just said it's probably this yeah they just kind of they so they just kind of assumed that that was the gun and they actually never found so when you shoot a shotgun normally you want to dispense old shell and rack a new one into the barrel they never found the old shell anywhere in our whole house they but we had kind of like little stray ones that were in the basement that hadn't been fired and they were like, oh, these these prove this. So if we kind of go back just a little, 
When they took my brother's clothes, they tested them for gunshot residue, which I also want to highlight on the fact that my grandpa works in an automotive shop and he ended up hugging my brother twice that day. Oh, okay. Before the police had even taken his clothes. So Mm -hmm. the way that like this, it's crazy how sometimes scientific things work, but residue, which is something that you see in a shop a lot, especially when you do a brake job on your typical cars, will throw a false positive for gunshot residue. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. So they have, I forgive me if I don't say these right, but they have lead antimony and barium. I can't really say them. They're really scientific things, but they're the three chemicals that and gunshot residue have in common. That brake pads and gunshot residue have in common, you said. Yeah. And so the police only found two of those chemicals on my brother's sleeve like whole shirt itself not his hands i was gonna say not his hands or anything like that yeah which i mean if you're gonna shoot a super old gun that hadn't been cleaned in x amount of years it's gonna throw a lot of gunshot residue all over the place Mm -hmm. so when the police kind of figured out that like hey he's got potential gunshot residue on him that's when they kind of decided that like hey my brother was the one who did this so what they ended up doing was they put out a statement that was like within the week that my sister had died there is no threat to the community we have a potential suspect here we go and at that the, point did you know that the potential sub- suspect was him i kind of had a hunch but i at the same time i was like in denial i was like no maybe they found something that i don't know of type thing mm-hmm. and so at this point in time, the media had taken off, and we even had a local news station take a video of our house from corner, like half a mile away. At this point in time, the media was really going at us hardcore, but then we also had our community got together and did a candlelight vigil. Local coffee shop actually did like a fundraiser for our family, and we thought that everything was kind of good until November of 2019. There was five of us, which the police called suspects, that got subpoenaed to come into court to talk about this all. And of them was my aunt, and who was working actually in healthcare, and they drove to her work to subpoena her. They drove to St. John's, 45 minutes away, to subpoena my dad, subpoenaed my mom and my grandpa at their work in front of everyone. Like, this was in front of everyone. They didn't care about anyone else. And they even went as far as pulling me out of class to go down to the principal's office to subpoena me without my parents present. And the the school failed to stop this from even happening. This is just adding insult to injury. And um, so while I'm speaking of the school, the school told my brother that he was not allowed to come back to school. So he never even got to go to school for his sophomore year all the way to his senior year. Oh, my gosh. So at that point in time, we kind of started to, hey, the police are really going to come after my brother now for this. This They're actually getting serious about this. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to January 18th of 2020, they charged my brother with murder and tried to try him as an adult. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I can't even imagine how that impacted your family after losing your sister in such a horrific way. And then to see your brother, I mean, to potentially lose him too to the system. It was really scary at this point in time for me because I was like, we've always been all three of us and now it's about to be me. And it was terrifying. He was 15 at the time and they, at the time that like he'd been charged Mm -hmm. and the fact that they wanted to try him as an adult for this is what made it even more like what the heck is going on yeah that gave me chills just i mean i can't even imagine the horror that he had to have experienced finding her and then being accused of killing his own sister and for what Uh, what did they ever say that they thought his motive was they really had no motive through any of this they kind of figured that it was like they figured it was like a sibling fight gone wrong Oh my gosh. And so that day my brother was released on a $100,000 bond and had to wear a tether when you're 15, um, something like a tether. So the GPS trackers Mm -hmm. is terrifying because like if it dies or we live in a really spotty 
service section of land. So it's like terrifying. Like if something happens with this, what is going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. And when my brother, from this point on, really for a good couple years, my brother was only allowed to go to his lawyer's office and go to work with my mom to do his online school. Oh my gosh. And I mean, these are really formative years. So he's essentially a young adult and this is, this is how he's having to grow up. I mean, this has to be just so devastating for him. It, he lost a lot of the crucial portion of his childhood. And like, when I look at it, I'm like, this really affected me. But when I try and look at it through his eyes, he lost out on so many different opportunities to figure out who he was as a person and mm-hmm. learn how to drive and get his license and get his first like job outside of the family business and apply for colleges if he wanted to and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And um, so the day that he was charged, the judge made an emphasis that he could have put my brother in juvie until everything was done. So I think what the police were trying to do was get an emotional rise out of my brother to kind of make him, I don't want to say snap, but like Mm -hmm. have an emotional break, Mm -hmm. which to me, it's like, you're supposed to be protecting us and you want to do this to a child. You're purposely doing this to a child. Yeah. Cause let's not forget. He is also a child at the time. Yeah. Which is absolutely crazy to me. And so at this time, obviously, COVID had shut down our entire world, which also meant that it put a pause on all of the court stuff. So really, the next big thing that happened within court was in August of 2021. Oh, wow. Like a whole year later. Exactly. And my brother, who was 17 at this point, figured out he was not being tried as an adult, but he had to take a plea deal. So he had to take a plea deal in order to not be tried as an adult. And his plea deal, which this baffles my mind, he's going to go from basically facing life in prison for murder to they give him a plea deal for two years of probation and a misdemeanor of careless discharge of a firearm causing death. Oh, my gosh. So it's really like, I mean, they're really buttering him up with this deal because it's like, do you want to risk possibly having to spend the rest of your life in prison or... You know, it's it's almost like even they don't believe that he is actually guilty because the plea deal is a way, way sweeter deal than the possibility of spending the rest of your life in prison. Well, exactly. And I think that what a lot of people even now are failing to realize is to go from life in prison to taking a plea deal of this kind is such a large gap that it showed yes. the police weren't confident in themselves. But exactly. the, only, the only reason why my brother took the plea deal was... 2020 was an election year for our county sheriff and he was reelected. So after my family kind of talked it out with my brother and my lawyer talked to our lawyer, talked to my brother, they kind of figured that because he got reelected, the same people are going to be the people on the jury. Mm -hmm. So there was a really high chance that he could have been facing such a high time in prison that the plea deal was the best way to go about this all. Yeah. And it, it was it was really crazy. It was kind of the best thing to do. But what makes it even sadder is at this point in time, because he took the plea deal, he had to make up a fake story on how everything happened. Which when oh you're a kid gosh. when you're a kid who's already gone through so much trauma in order to make up a fake story then is even more crazy. And the police basically were like, We don't care what you say as long as you just make it look like you're guilty. So what did he say? Um, As far as I know, he kind of was like, I may have shot my sister accidentally. Oh, my gosh. And so I'm curious now how this affects any potential outcome in the future if they actually find out who really did do this. Well, and so my understanding of it all is this DNA from this fiber and everything is in the system. But the chances of them getting a match from it is pretty slim to none. So. I don't think that unless we get a private investigator or something of the sorts, this is this is what my family has for closure is yeah. nothing. Exactly. I guess the other option would be if this person reoffends and their DNA ends up in the system, that maybe you can potentially find a match. Right. I wonder how, um, and I'm not super familiar with how this works, but familial DNA and reaching into, you know, those databases where people 
freely offer up their DNA. I, I know exactly. there's there's like rules and restrictions and how it can be used, but my hope is that with as common as that's becoming and popular as that's becoming, that hopefully it will result in a hit at some point for you guys. Exactly. I mean, the way that I kind of look at it is it's a terrible situation and it's really hard for us to wrap our mind around all of this all. But unless my family takes those steps to try and get someone else who is properly trained in all of this to look at it, even if we could, the police failed to get a lot of crucial evidence. Mm -hmm. So even down to this point, we're back to square one with like, hey, what can we do? Yeah. What evidence do you guys have at your disposal when it comes to finding out who potentially did this? You have a the sample of the fingerprint on your sister, the DNA. Um, and honestly, that's about it. Oh my gosh. That's so, so daunting. And I mean, like what makes it even sadder is we are a family who really didn't think that this was going to happen to us. So we never locked any of our doors yeah, and we live well, so far off the property and we have hunting dogs that bark constantly when someone's here. So it's just one of those things that you don't really think it's going to happen to you till it happens to you. And you're mm -hmm. us ourselves. We're not equipped for anything like this to happen. No. And yeah, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. what you would have done yeah. differently, what you would have collected differently. And I mean, even you exactly. as a child or your family is witnessing the police kind of botch this. And even you guys are like, shouldn't you be maybe having gloves on or should you maybe change out those booties when you go in and out of the house? I mean, that's really astounding to, to know that like you guys witnessed that happen and then to see yeah. it completely turn around and then blow up in your face because they blamed your brother. Man. Well, so one of the major key memories that is stuck in my head from that day is they shut down our driveway about halfway down. So the rest of us, the rest of my family was on the other half of the driveway. And I remember grabbing a bucket out of someone's truck and I sat in the middle of the driveway and I watched the police go in and out of the house and then a car showed up. And I was like, who the heck is at my house? And it ended up being the funeral people coming to get my sister. And I remember watching her get loaded and then I still sat there and I watched the police and I was like, this seems off, but I don't know anything enough to be like, hey, you're not doing your job right. And my family, mm -hmm. even we've all talked about it and we wish that we would have sat there and recorded everything going on. But hindsight, like you said, is always 2020. You never really know what to do in a situation until it's too late. Yeah. And my hope for you is that by sharing this story, it helps somebody else who finds themselves in this type of situation. Yeah. And maybe definitely. hopefully feels better prepared to. Um, yeah. I've kind of thought about it like a lot and about like what if something like this were ever to come up, like what would happen? What would I do? And I do not want to bash the police. I simply want to share a story that was never shared because the media never reached out to my family to get our side. So and I want. Is that blows my mind that the media didn't ever ask you guys what your stance on it all was. I mean, you guys were the ones that experienced this and lost yeah. somebody so close to you. You're the ones that they should be wanting to talk to, but they spun exactly. it and they really painted a portrait of your brother as this murderer. They even went as far as they put his mugshot on the paper, which he was a child. Why, why would you even want to do that? They took pictures in the courtroom of him, they would show up for each one of his probation hearings to update the public. But then when my brother got off probation this past year, they didn't care enough to show up. Oh my gosh, I'm and so it, sorry. Yeah, it actually got to um, the point where even the prosecutor was like, okay, let him off probation, let's be done with this. Wow, and yet now, you know, the community has every right and every reason to still be on edge because this was so botched and mishandled. And yet they're probably, I don't know, probably just living their lives day to day. Yeah. Unaffected. There was a lot, there was a lot of rumors, like I said, about the community and people that we thought would be on our side that they actually turned against us. And there was people that were like, oh, your brother molested your sister. My brother never did that. There was never any evidence of that. There was never any reports of that. It was one of those things that a keyboard warrior on Facebook said, hey, this is what happened. And everyone ran with it. Or yeah. they took it as far as, oh, your grandpa was a lieutenant on the fire department. He tampered with the crime scene. Or, hey, your family has enough money. We can pay off the police. And you know, it seemed it was almost like 
blinded loyalty to the police and everyone was like oh they're just doing their job we gotta trust them type thing that everyone kind of failed to realize sometimes you can't trust the people you think you can trust Mm -hmm. yeah and you had to learn that the hardest way yeah even now it seems like like I'm kind of on edge like even when I see police officers I'm afraid like hey they might recognize my vehicle I'm gonna get pulled over or like seeing police officers even throughout my day-to-day life like walking or anything like that I'm just on edge and I um, actually worked in the same town for a while at a shop as the county sheriff's department and I had to work on their vehicles so I had to see the same officers at least once a week and I was always on edge that like hey someone's gonna say something to me hey someone's gonna recognize my last name and it's truly something that you don't want to go through and it's something that you don't understand how to handle when you're in this situation yeah I can't even imagine it's it's living in a small town is a blessing and a curse yeah well and we were talking before we started recording just about how social media can be such a blessing and a curse and it seems like social media was really a curse at the beginning for you but now that you know you've said your story on tiktok which is how we found each other and so many people have gotten their eyes and ears on that I'm hoping that, you know, social media can be more of a blessing for you now and that you get, you can get this story out to more people than just your small community. Cause you know, my hope is that maybe this story was only condensed to your small community, but that everyone on the outside will start to see this and maybe it'll even filter into your community and change some minds. I hope that for you guys, but um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a wild beast social media. I, I kind of started doing social media as a way to kind of inspire other girls like, hey, you can join the trades field. And knowing that I can inspire and help change people's minds about something that I know stuff about kind of made me realize like, hey, I can tell my story on social media and not be necessarily afraid of the backlash. And when my video started to go viral of my sister's story, my mind went back to the year that my sister died and I was sitting in class reading all these comments on a Facebook post that a newspaper had put out saying all these mean things about my brother. And I was like, this is going to happen again. But it actually turned out that we had, I had more nice comments and comments that were like, what the heck were the police doing than mean comments. And it just melt meant so much to me that outside of my little community that I've known for my whole life, there's people who are understanding that this was mishandled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that you have was, a voice. Yeah, it was nice knowing that I have a voice to share what actually happened from my viewpoint, but also it was nice knowing that we can get all these different eyes on it from all across the country, and I have other people that are like, hey, this isn't quite right. So I kind of hope that other people will take our story and understand that like, if they're put into a situation like this, what they should look out for, what they should do themselves, and just really, not necessarily like a guideline, but like things that like, hey, learn from our mistakes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would hate to think that your sister's death is completely in vain. I'd like to believe that, you know, there's a purpose and that she served a purpose while she was here. And maybe it is to help other people through this story. Yeah, definitely. I like to think that my sister was put on this earth to kind of give me a purpose to live and also for her to break down some barriers. You know, she was the only girl in soccer, she was a very outspoken girl, very known for her smile and her freckles and everyone loved her. And it's just one of those things where I'm just like, I hope that people can understand like, hey, sometimes bad things happen to good people, Mm -hmm. but you can, there's always a light in every bad situation. So the way that I, the way that I always tell myself is, um, so I am a religious person. So I always look at it like, God has a plan for everything. I might not understand the plan, but he has a plan. Mm -hmm. And this just so happened to be a part of that. Yeah. And our time here is temporary. And as painful as that can be to a lot of people, you know, everyone's time is temporary. And so the, the impact that she's leaving even now, years later after her death, I mean, that's something that speaks for something. Exactly. I mean, within our local county fair, she made an impact of you know, she was a small little girl showing all these cows and she won reserve champion showman, which is when you have to show every single species of animal within a sector. 
and it was her first time ever doing it. And I mean, to get reserve champion was pretty big. And Mm -hmm. now we have like a little monument at the fair for her. And she's a very well-known face within our community. Good. I love that for you guys. And I know she would just be so proud of you. And look at how you've kind of like taken some, you know, inspiration from her and kind of paved your own path like she was doing. I mean, that's that's huge. I know she would be so proud of you. I always like the way that I always look at things is there's a song called Give Give Heaven Some Hell by Hardy. And that actually came out after my sister had passed away. And I kind of like looked at that song like it was my sister kind of sending it to me as as a way even though it affects so many people but I, I I look at that and every time time I see something I'm like you keep giving heaven hell like I've got the hell raisin down here I love that so how is Corbin now yeah so he actually is he's off probation he works for our family business and he works on cars he absolutely loves it he went to community college for welding just to kind of get some more stuff underneath his belt. He graduated high school last year and he really has become one of those faces within our business community that everyone loves. Good. Good. Um, And how is, how have you guys all handled this since then? Have you had to go through therapy? Have you, you know, connected with your church? You mentioned you're religious. Like, have you found solace and comfort in that? How have you guys gotten through this together? So we were all mandated by the court that we had to go to therapy and we all kind of went to, my mom went to her own therapist. My dad and I went to the same one and my brother went to a different one. So we kind of all learned how to heal, so to speak. And um, my family, not so much turned to the religious side of things as I did. I kind of turned more towards the Bible and just reading it because really the Bible is a guideline of how things should you should handle things within life and I kind of started to read that where like I'd have some downtime and I'd be like okay how can I connect back with this and um we all kind of found our own little ways to about life now that things are different but we all made sure that we stayed kind of close to each other we all check in on each other and make sure everything's good we do like family dinner things with the other portions of the family we still get together everyone for family christmas and all of these things good good you know it's i'm so relieved to hear that it brought you closer to god and stronger in your faith because you know sometimes something like this can have the complete opposite effect so are there any like scriptures that really stood out to you or stuck with you that helped you get through this um there wasn't really any like as a whole i kind of just take them all and merge them all together and i'm just like he has a plan I just have to take myself and put my faith in him and whatever he is planning, I just have to go with it mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm, I'm not the type of like, I, I don't want to say like typical white woman that like is like, oh, this is this Bible verse that I love. I really love the Bible entirely equally as a whole. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I just really through all of this, I just want to highlight that like sometimes the media will lie to you and you can't trust everything you see on the news, mm-hmm. which is really sad. Like you see it happen to celebrities where the media lies about celebrities and everyone's like, oh, they're lying. It's fine, whatever. But then when it happens within a small town, people are like, this is set in stone. This is exactly what happened. Yeah. You know, and I feel like in the past few years, especially people have gotten a little weary of media and the news and a lot of things um, oh, that exactly. I, I don't want to like get too deep t- into that on this <laughs> podcast because that's not what I'm about. And I don't want to be like divisive and piss somebody off. But yeah, no, it does seem though, like in the past few years, especially people have been a lot more weary um, than to just blindly trust the media. And exactly. I love the fact that like as a community, we're all currently trying to figure out what we all believe in. And we mm-hmm. are so di- diverse in our beliefs that it, kind of shows that like every bushel of apples is not the same apple entirely so it's nice to know that like other people are finally realizing like hey you can't entirely trust the media let's go find the source of this incident yeah and you can think for yourself and you can ask questions and yeah go straight to the source as you should exactly but I think that was really the only other thing that I really wanted to highlight on yeah well, good. I'm glad you did. Thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. If there's any ever, if there's ever any updates, I hope you'll let me know. Um, yeah, definitely. 
I hate the thought that this is is technically unsolved for you guys, but I hope that somewhere down the line, new evidence might emerge in the form of that DNA testing. And I don't know, I just, I feel in my gut that this is not over for you guys, but I, I mean that in a good way. Yeah, no, I definitely think that somewhere down the line, whether it's in two years, whether it's in 20 years, something else is going to come up and this story is not over. It's just simply a chapter that's being closed. I want to thank Abby for sharing her family's story and for being a voice for not only her little sister Addison, but for her older brother Corbin as well. This story is such a powerful example of an unbreakable bond between siblings. I'm so proud of Abby for speaking out about this, and I know Addison is so proud as well. If you have any questions for Abby, you can message any of our social media platforms. She is open to doing a follow-up episode to answer any questions that might be out there. I think one of the biggest ways you can help is by sharing their story and getting the word out, not just for vindication for the Redmonds, but also to hopefully find out who really did this. Thank you so much for listening. Mama, mystery, out. Bye.